Good morning, Midland Free. Good morning, welcome here as we continue to worship. My name is Jeremy, and I just want to say thank you. Thanks for coming to bless us with your presence this morning. I have a question for you today. Um, you'll find that different churches interact differently. <clears throat> I'm always hopeful to get a lot of interaction because that helps me feel good and knows that you're alive and I'm not putting you to sleep. So I want to start with a question that you can answer out loud. I think there's probably no wrong answers to this. And I'll ask a question after that that has two answers according to the person who wrote the book. But I don't really care if you say something different. So don't worry about what you say this morning. It's just for fun. Make sure we're awake. Here's the first question. Can you tell me something? First of all, you know, I guess at the, in the first we can just shout them out. But eventually, if you really want my attention, raise your hand. And then I'll like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So tell me something that is good now, but better later. What's something that's good now, better later? Okay, I said you could talk. <laughs> good now, better later. What'd you say? Chili, that's a great one. Good choice. What's another one? Mermaids? What's oh, another one? A dog is good now and better later. I'm sorry, what'd you say? Life? Wine. Okay, wine. Got it. Sorry. You're going to have to move up a few rows and bad ears. Jesus is, that's an interesting proposal. Did you say babies? Savings. Okay, savings. Good. Investment. Hopefully good now, better later. Yes, sir. Young man right over here. What do you got? That's you, man, pointing to you. God's love for us. Like that one. There's a lot of good answers. I asked this question on Facebook earlier this week, and one of the interesting ones, you know, I heard grape juice, good now, better later. I heard <clears throat> cheese. Some people who were really getting brownie points said marriage. Um, some, I heard someone say a seed, which was an interesting one, and one person even said a sonogram of a baby. Obviously, they didn't have teenagers yet. <laughs> but, I'm sorry. Teenagers always get slammed, don't they? Man, what a bummer. I'll make it up to you in just a moment, I promise. Okay, so here's the next question. This one, I actually, a, a person wrote a book about food. I heard them interviewed, and this was their answer, but you can throw out any answer you want. It's okay. What is some sort of food that will never, ever rot? Candy? Could be, maybe. What did we say over here? Honey, exactly right. Honey is one thing, a consumable item of food that will never rot. If you went to King Tut's tomb and pulled out honey that is thousands and thousands of years old, you can dust it off, warm it up, and voila, there's lunch. What else? Are there any other foods like that? There is one that this person mentioned. What'd you say? It's that right there. Twinkies. That's the other one. 
there are two foods in existence that will not rot. One is honey, two is Twinkies. I heard it more than just once, but um, I'm going to give you something today that hopefully will call that idea to mind. Now, supposedly these will rot, although it's hard for me to imagine how long it would take for this candy to actually rot. This is called, this candy is called now and later. Exactly right. This is now and later, and it does have something to do with the sermon. And since the kids are with us because children's ministry is taking a respite before the fall, I'd like to hand out a little treat today. I'm making it up to you now, right? Sorry about the teenager thing earlier. It's all good. Okay. So if said children who I talked to earlier this week, i.e. Cyberts and Lobdells, will come on up. I need your help. If you feel like you are a child, you're welcome to raise your hand and ask for some candy, okay? This includes youth. This includes, you know, people who may not qualify for the student discount. You can still raise your hand and ask for some candy. But please know, I only have 100. So if you take one and that little kid next to you is crying, it's on you, all right? There are 100 of these things to be distributed as best as you guys can, which means somebody's going to have to share. Okay, here you go. You take, well, let's see here. Take those, just raise your hand. Here, watch this, this will be fun. All right, sorry for the teenager thing. All right, whoa, whoa, sorry. If you're in the front row, you're supposed to be able to catch. Okay, just kidding. All right, back, second row. Third row, heads up. First row, okay, you guys get the rest. I'm going to stop there. All right, here we go. Just raise your hand if you want some candies. Oh, 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 I need to say something about this candy. I just remembered. Uh, There's a safety warning on here. Yep, there's always a safety warning. Uh, This one says, small objects such as hard and soft candies can become lodged in the throat. So don't lodge them in your throat, please. We have an ER team. We don't want to use them. Also, this one's actually important. These were produced in a facility that does nuts and other bad stuff like that. These don't have those, but if you can be cross-contaminated and have an issue, don't give these a try. Okay. You guys ready? All right. Thank you. One for you. All right. I got another one. I got one more. All right. All right. Whoops. Can I have one back? I threw mine away. All right. Thank you. So these are now and laters, and yes, it does have something to do with the sermon this morning. Take one home, remember it now, remember the sermon later, but here's the thing. Today we're going to look at Mark chapter 7, and in it we're going to ask this question as they distribute these. We're going to ask the question, what does Jesus do for me now, and what will Jesus do for me later? What does Jesus do for me now, and what does Jesus do for me later? There is a promise and a fulfillment. You'll see that A-B pattern. Really wanted to make it an A-B-A pattern, but just didn't work. So it's A-B, promise, fulfillment. Here is what Christ will do for you. Earlier, just a moment ago, we sang the, same, we sang the song Yahweh, and it said Jesus, and it was talking about him, and it said he's the same Yesterday, today, and forever, Yahweh, we sang it. That's going to be the structure for this morning. There's a few hands back over there if you guys see them. 
The structure for this morning is Jesus then. Here's a slide. Here's the structure for this morning. The structure is Jesus then. What will Jesus do for me? Then and or now and later, but we're going to work it like this. We're going to look back and then look forward. Jesus then, Jesus now, and Jesus forever. What will Jesus do for me? We're going to begin today, as I said in the text, but actually I want to do something a little different. Normally I read the text that we are studying, but this text that we're studying in Mark chapter 7 is actually directly linked to a previous text in Isaiah. And I will show you how that works. So I want to read the, there's a couple hands over there, Jenna. I want to read the Isaiah text to you this morning. And what I did is I highlighted two different words. One is Lebanon and the other is mute. And I did that on purpose because in the original language in the Greek, there is a very special word that occurs in both the Old Testament Septuagint and the New Testament. And these prophecies, these texts are directly linked. You won't see that unless you look at the below the surface text, but I want you to see that and I'll show you why I'm linking these this morning. So listen to this prophecy in Isaiah. This happened around 700 years before the time of Christ, okay? 700 years before the time of Christ, before Jesus, this prophet says this. You're arguing with your friends. Don't argue. It's their hearts, not their minds. But let's say you're having a discussion with your friends. Hey, prove to me this Jesus stuff is true. Well, here is a prophecy about Christ about to be fulfilled right in front of you that was given 700 years before Jesus ever showed up on the scene with matching words and everything. Isaiah chapter 35, let this be an encouragement to you as well. That's the cool thing about prophecy is it not only applies way back when, but it applies right now as well. Hear these words if you need encouragement this morning. Prophet Isaiah says, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon, that's your first word, shall be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious, uh, anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. You'll see that today. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the, here it's the next word, mute, sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes and the highway shall be there. It shall be called the highway of holiness and the unclean will never pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way and even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall there be any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And you've probably heard this verse before. 
and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come singing unto Zion, and everlasting joy will be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing. Sighing, you'll hear that word as well, will flee away. So what will Jesus do for me? Well, one of the things that I like to say to people when we talk about faith is they'll ask me the question, they'll say, "Um, Pastor, faith is so weird, it's so different, I don't understand. Because unlike this podium, or unlike this really hard candy, or unlike this stool that I'm sitting on, it is not something that I can experience with the five senses. I can't see it, I can't touch it, I can't taste it, I can't smell it, I can't hear it. What is faith? Everything else in life seems to me to be able to fall under those things, but this thing does not. What is it? And the way I assure them, as we talked about last week, is faith is, look, faith is believing the promise of the one who said it to you based on their character. It's believing in who they are and what they said. And so here's something that happened in the past. And if we have faith, if we believe If we trust in the character of this one who said it, we know it will be fulfilled. And here today, Mark chapter 7, it's being fulfilled. So I want to show you that before we get to our lives, I want to jump back and show you then and then the now and the forever. So here's the then. What happens then, way back when, there's a prophecy and a fulfillment. Remember, that's the pattern we'll see today. There's a prophecy and a fulfillment. The prophecy we just read in Isaiah And the prophecy basically says that God will do two things. One is he will recreate, and two, he will release. That's what God likes to do. Follow that theme throughout the Bible, and you'll see. He, from the beginning of creation, he, he creates it, he gives them the space, and then he releases them to enjoy it. Even if it's the Israelites in slavery in Egypt, he he builds this new nation. He constructs a covenant. He begins a theocracy. And once he does that, he releases them to live it out in the promised land. And when he comes in the New Testament, Jesus promises that he'll do the same thing, that he himself will recreate and release. And then in the future kingdom, the same. God will recreate the entire world and allow us or release us to live in it. So how does that play out? Well, let me show you Mark chapter 7. That's what this miracle is. It took me a long time to get there in my study this week. I'm just scratching my head and I'm saying, okay, so he did another miracle. So what? Big deal. Jesus has already done a lot of these. What's the point of including the specific incident in the Bible? Why do we care? Why is this one important? Why is it unique? Why is it here? Here's the answer to that question. What's happening is God's future is being initiated right now. At this point, he's showing you the prophecies beginning to be fulfilled. Not totally, but beginning. Let me show you how that works. Mark chapter 7, verse 31, it says this. Then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon. Now, the reason those words are highlighted, that's Lebanon. That's modern day Lebanon. That's ancient Lebanon. So Lebanon prophecy in Isaiah Lebanon is where Jesus is at right now. Connect those two things. Same place, on purpose. To the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. This person was mute. 
What did Isaiah say about the deaf and the blind and the lame and the mute? Okay. And they begged him to lay his hands on them. And Jesus, taking this person aside from the crowd privately, did a very creative thing. The same, the same thing he did when he formed us out of the sand, he does now. He put this, his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched the man's tongue. And looking up into heaven, Jesus <sighs> sighed. There will be a time, Isaiah says, when sighing is no more. But Jesus, at this point, sighed. And he said to him, Ephatha, be opened. And his ears were opened and his tongue was released. And he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure and said, he has done all things well. God looked at everything that he had did and said, it's good. Good. He makes even the deaf hear and the mute speak. So what is happening then in this text? Why are you emphasizing those things, Pastor? The point is this, is what you see here Jesus is doing Way back then, he's obviously fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah, but in that prophecy, he is recreating and releasing. He goes up to this deaf person, and one wonders, why does he go through these antics? It doesn't make sense. What's happening is back in those days, the healers used a bunch of different mediums, and so probably Jesus is communicating to this guy without sign language what I'm going to do, what he's about to do. But he goes beyond that and shows him what it is that he actually does. And what Jesus does is creates. These are the very, very hands that formed the entire world now touching this unformed ear and this unformed mouth and making it new again. Ephraim, the Syrian in the 4th century, says it very well. He says it like this. Here's what's happening in this passage. He says, The very architect of the body and artificer of the all flesh had come personally to this guy and with his gentle voice tenderly opened up his, unobstructed, his obstructed ears. Then his mouth, which had been so closed up that it could not give birth to a word, gave birth to praise to him who made its barren fruitful. The one who immediately had given to Adam speech without teaching gave to him so that he could speak easily a language that is learned only with difficulty. This is a creative act. In this moment, Jesus is showing that he is, in fact, the one in whom and for whom and through whom all things hold together, that he was in the beginning with God and he was God, that he is, in fact, the creator. And so if there's something that's broken and needs fixed and doesn't work within his creation, he can go back and recreate it and fix it again. He does all things well. He looks at his creation and says, wow, this is good. So here's the promise and the fulfillment in the past. Isaiah and Mark chapter 7. Okay, so Isaiah 35 and Mark chapter 7, they go together. The prophet predicts, Jesus fulfills. Now we see this pattern of promise and fulfillment of recreation and releasing taking place 
actively in our lives as well. So we're switching from the then and we're moving now into the now. How does that work? Well, in the same way, there's another prophet by the name of Ezekiel. And he says this. God is prophesying to his people and he says, I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. And I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. So the first miracle we saw was very physical, right? Like what's broken in us is basically everything. Not only are our bodies broken, but our spirits are broken as well. And so when Jesus first comes in the first coming, what he demonstrates often, not always, sometimes he does the internal, but often is the external. He'll show you that he can fix it on the outside. But now what scriptures begin to show is that not only can he fix it on the outside, but he can fix it on the inside too. And so for those of us who are broken, which is all of us, who've experienced sin, difficulty, shame, remorse, regret, anxiety, depression, whatever, Jesus shows us that he can not only fix our outside, he can fix our inside in this. Here's a slide. I'm not going to go through all the verses, but this is what happens when you believe in Jesus for the first time. If you've never believed in Jesus, see this slide and know that this needs to occur in your life if you want to live forever, be forgiven, and experience the best that's yet to come, the later. Here's what happens. We, because we have sinned, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, and therefore the wages of sin is death, and all have sin, therefore all die. We're dead. We are dead spiritually. You may be alive physically, but realistically you're dead spiritually then what has to happen is that we need to be made alive again. Ephesians chapter 2 explains this. How are we made alive? The Holy Spirit comes into our lives and brings us back from the dead. As a result, Jesus will describe this to an inquirer by the name of John and say, this is what it means for you to be born again. If you're not a Christian, if you haven't been to church, you don't know this weird tomb Word, how can we go back into our mother's womb and be born again? You can't. He's not talking physically, he's talking spiritually. Because we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and the wages of sin is death, and we can't pay those wages. Only Christ can, and therefore he dies on the cross, death to pay the wages for our sin. And because of him, then we can be born again and have new life. And so Jesus begins to fulfill this prophecy as well that he will give us a new heart, a new spirit, and put it within us, that he will remove the heart of stone, just like he did the stone in the garden, and insert in it fresh, living, and breathing flesh. Therefore, the Apostle Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, if you believe in Jesus, then you are a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. So, what does Jesus do then? He recreates And he releases. What does he do now? He did that physically. Right now he does it spiritually. He recreates and he releases. He promises to give us a new heart. And that new heart we call justification. It means it's like this. Just as if I had never sinned. Justification means you have been cleansed. You've been made new. You're fixed. But... The problem is this. Listen to this. Here's where it gets so incredibly applicational. It's unbelievable. Go back to that Mark chapter 7. Kids, are you listening to this? 
Look up at me if you are. If you're listening, look up, please. Mark chapter 7. Jesus just did what miracle? Remind me. It's been a little bit. I've forgotten. I've started to get kind of tired in the sermon. What was it? What did Jesus just do? Yeah, he took care of the deaf person and made them able to speak, okay? Now, what that deaf person presumably does initially, initially, once this healing occurs, they run around and they go, guess what Jesus did for me? Guess what Jesus did for me? Guess what Jesus did for me? It's so awesome. And you know what happens when somebody gets saved for the first time and they go from darkness to life? Guess what they do? They run around, they go, guess what Jesus did for me? Guess what Jesus did for me? Guess what Jesus did for me? It's so awesome. But you know what I wonder? How long was it before this guy said a bad word? Because you know he did. Just because Jesus made it so that that guy's tongue would work again doesn't mean that this guy praised him the rest of his life. At some point, he probably fell. And said something that he shouldn't have. And maybe even took those ears and he leaned in a little bit and listened to some gossip. Somebody had a juicy morsel on his neighbor and he just felt that twinge of excitement in his heart. He's never been able to participate in this before at the water aerobics class or the grain elevator at the golf course or wherever. He leans in and listens and said, oh yeah, tell me more. Give me the juice. I want to hear it. And all of a sudden he's using his ears for something other than they were created for. And then he participates in it and he goes home and he maybe just says something he shouldn't again. And then that still small voice comes to him and whispers in his ear, whispers in his heart and says, hey, why did Jesus just heal your ears? Why did he give you those ears? You didn't have them. You remember what it was like and then he came to you and he gave them to you. Why did he give you your tongue back? Is that why? Who makes man's tongue? Who makes man's ears? Is it not I, the Lord? And I bet at that point, the guy probably stepped back and said, holy smokes. Oh. And then there's this danger point, and if you're like me, you've been there, and this is a real danger point. Listen in. You can go one or two ways with this. That's conviction. And you can move from conviction to repentance. Or you can move from conviction to guilt. And conviction to repentance is a really great spot. But conviction to guilt, it gets even worse. You know what happens then? The devil takes advantage of this and he says, oh yeah. Maybe it would have been better if Jesus never even healed you. There's a lot of good people out there. Perhaps his healing power could have been better used on one of them. Maybe, just maybe, Jesus loosed your tongue only to condemn you again so that you would prove how terrible you are. You were probably better off when you couldn't speak. Now you use the very thing he gave you to hurt others? How does that make you feel? Down we go. Spiral of depression and discouragement. And it is not fun. And I know 
I know at some point this had to happen because what Jesus did here was he healed this person's ears and he healed their tongue. But you know the way Jesus heals right now and then is not entirely or not completely. You know what happened to Lazarus after Jesus raised him from the dead? You know what happened to him eventually? He died. He got to die twice. You know what happened when this guy got old? He started losing his hearing again. Oh man, not again. Thought we'd already been through this once. What? And it's a crazy mystery, and I want to tell you the truth this morning just in a flat, honest way. I don't know. I have no idea why. One of my pastor friends and I were talking on the phone. We said, you know, we got a lot of questions for God. We're the pastors, inside scoop. We have a lot of questions. We will trust him, but we do not understand him. Don't get it. And here's one of those. Question is, why not the instant now? Like, why heal us and still allow us to suffer? What, Lord, I could understand if maybe you, you did it physically. Like you said to this guy, okay, I'm going to heal you physically and spiritually, but you're going to die again, you know, physically, but you're going to be perfect spiritually from now on. You'll be good. Boy, I would like that. Lord, wouldn't that help everybody else to see how great Jesus was? If we were never a hypocrite, if we never sinned, if we all had a perfect testimony, and every time they saw a Christian, they're like, wow, I don't know what happened to those people, but they're different. How often does that happen? Not as often as we'd like. The reality is, he gives us a new heart, and he gives us a new spirit, but we still sin. The healing is not instant, and it's not perfect. That's the reality of our current experience. Although we've been born again, we still suffer and struggle with this old self, this sin nature. As soon as you get saved, things may be good for a little bit, but it doesn't mean all of a sudden everything's going to be better and perfect. Not even spiritually. Not even spiritually. We know physically from our own experience, but I think sometimes we think, hey, I believed in Jesus. I should be better at this by now. Why am I not? Why do I struggle with the same thing indefinitely forever when he can, clearly he can heal with a wave of his magic wand? He can do that. Why doesn't he heal me like that? I don't want to struggle with sin. Why? What's the deal? It's a guy by the name of Augustine, or Augustine, however you like to say it, from Hippo. And uh, he describes this process like this. This is what's happening now, and this is what's happening later. There are four stages sort of in the human progression or development of eternity, and they are these. Here's, let's go to the fourfold state of man real quick. Here's what happened. Let's go to the um, Eden one first. Yep. When we were in Eden, the Garden of Eden, we had the ability of sin. We, could, we hadn't sinned at that point, but we had the ability. We could sin. Then, after we sinned, the curse was such that we had no hope of not sinning. That's what the law proved or produced, death. It showed us that everything we did was sin. 
But then when Jesus comes and gives us a new heart, we once again receive the ability to no longer sin. In the end, that thing which we all want and are looking forward to is a time where we can no longer sin or mess up or anything else. And that is the final state. And so if you like word games or tongue twisters, here's how you could say it to one of your friends. Impress your friends, strike fear in the hearts of your enemies. Here you go. We, this is the development of the kingdom of God. We can sin, we cannot not sin, we can not sin, we cannot sin. We can sin, we go from can sin to cannot sin, cannot not sin to cannot, to cannot sin. Here's another way to say it that's a little easier. I got a different slide. We go from we are able to sin to unable to not sin to able to not sin. That's where we're at right now. We're not perfect, but we actually can resist sin by the Holy Spirit. We don't do it every time. Don't ever even think that. But the reality is we are redeemed and now we have the opportunity to not sin. But then we go to that full and final state of glorification where we no longer are able to sin. So what happens if you're like me? If you are so frustrated with yourself and sick of that same old sin, you can barely get out of bed in the morning, you are mad. Like, dude, I do not need to keep doing this. I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I have read I have studied, I have gone to seminary, I have memorized, I have preached, I have taught. How come I still sin? Here's the only answer I have. Lamentations chapter 3 says this. But this I call to mind, and therefore I hope. Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never end. They're new every single morning. You just make it to another day. He'll meet you right there. Great is your faithfulness. What did Jesus do then? Well, he healed them physically on the outside. What does he do now? He begins the process of healing on the inside. But even better, what does he do later? He fixes both. Inside and out. Here's the promise and here's the fulfillment. We won't even look at it. It's Revelation chapter 20 through 22. Same thing. Same thing he did in Isaiah and Mark. Same thing he does in me and you. He'll do in the future as well. Jesus will recreate and release both the inside and the out. Our present experience can be very frustrating. The problem is this when we allow our frustration to outgrow our hope. If our frustration outgrows our hope, then we become depressed and we lose and we die again. But if we remember that he who called us is faithful, then even when we mess up, even when we make mistakes, we can be assured that 
His mercies are new each and every morning. What will Jesus do? Listen carefully. Here's two words. He will reverse the curse. Jesus reverses the cursed. It's good now. It started, but it's not perfect. It's better later. There is a place where neither moth nor rust destroys. And the good lasts even longer than honey and Twinkies. What will Jesus do? He'll keep his promise and reverse the curse. What then is my only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied all my sins and redeemed me from the power of the devil. Curse is strong, curse is powerful. Gravity is always at work pulling us down. But here's the cool thing about redemption in the scriptures. We gain more than Adam lost. We actually gain more than Adam lost. It's better than Eden. You see that in Eden, we were able to sin, but in forever, we're no longer able That's where I want to be. I don't even want to go back to the Garden of Eden. Although that must have been pretty good. I want to keep going. Where God has destined and planned for us forever and ever. It's good now, but I promise you on the word of Christ. It gets way better later. Father, we thank you and praise you for redeeming us from all of our sin. What Jesus gained was way better than what Adam lost. Lord, I've lost it many a time. I've blown it, messed up, made a fool, used my tongue in the wrong way, used my ears in the wrong way. I'm sorry. I pray that you would forgive us, God, that you would change us, that not only the words of our mouth that even the meditations of our very heart would be pleasing to you. Lord, give us that new heart. Give us the clean hands. Recreate and restore us again. In Jesus' name, amen.